What's up, everyone, and welcome to Good Nature, a show about good people doing good things despite challenges like chronic illness, disability, and more. My name's Tony, and I'm a digital media professional with a chronic muscle disease called LGMD2I. It's not always super fun, so I started a podcast to talk to people dealing with similar stuff. Today, my guest is Diego Mariscal, who is not only a disability advocate with cerebral palsy, he also heads up a foundation called Together International that focuses on things like educating and empowering disabled founders to launch their own businesses. I've been fortunate enough to join some of Diego's pitch meetings and seen how many people are working on awesome things that he and his team are helping come to life. We'll talk about all that and more and how people can get involved, so let's get into it. All right, Diego, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for being here. I believe, are you in D.C. currently? I am. So I live in D.C., but I'm currently in Mexico because of COVID. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would say you probably avoided, you probably picked a good time across the boards, obviously obviously, to avoid being in D.C. Thankfully, we're about three weeks removed, I guess, from hopefully the craziest um, at the time of recording. <laughs> I agree. I hope you return to what seems like better vibes and all around better times for sure. Indeed. So you mentioned you're originally from Mexico. Um, and in doing some some research and digging into your background more, I did discover you were a bit, a bit of a super tween uh, back in the day there. You were correct me if I'm wrong, a competitive Paralympic swimmer. Yes. And that led to you doing what, like some, some advocacy work, like even at like the age of 12, I believe, which is crazy. I think the most impressive thing I did when I was 12 was like, learn to play a couple of Green Day songs on guitar. So right. go ahead and I guess, jump into, you know, what that experience was like, and what you started working on at a very young age. Oh my God, this is great. I feel like you know so much about me already. This is awesome. I love that. Um, cool. Yeah, so I, um, as you said, I um, I started swimming at a very young age and it was primarily because uh, I needed, so I have CP, which I believe you also have CP, right? No, I actually have a condition called limb girdle muscular dystrophy. They're oh. pretty different. I think there's some overlap. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, I have CP, which is basically um, for there's different people experience disabilities differently, but for me, it's uh, it's primarily my muscles tend to tense up, and it's harder to walk and harder to move around. Swimming was always really important to me, and a really good way to keep both exercising and also having fun. Like I think one of the things that is often overlooked is how, for me at least, physical therapy was something that I had to do every day. Um, my mm -hmm. parents would force me to do an hour of therapy every single day. And so when I was little, um, you know, I remember kids would, you know, play and go out and have fun and, you know, finish homework and, and do fun stuff. And I had to do homework and also do an hour of therapy. So it, w it was pretty tedious. And so I think both my mom and my physical therapist we're trying to find ways to keep me engaged and entertained. I've always been sort of competitive. And so, you know, entering me into a competition uh, seemed like a really good way to keep me engaged. And so I did. I, I They entered me into a competition. Um, and what was funny about it is, you know, I was really excited and we were all really looking forward to, to it. But there was only, we only had a week to prepare because apparently... You know, they didn't announce it with enough time. 
And what was interesting was, you know, we only trained really properly for a week. And I ended up winning the competition. <laughs> so we were like, oh, my God, what's going on? And so when that happened, that was a statewide competition. And when that happened, um, I started getting all these attention from the media and press and all these things. And they recruited me for the team. And I ended up, you know, competing professionally for about five to six years. Um, So it was a really big part of my life. So you had a week to become an athlete. And not only did you do that, you opted into becoming a semi-professional athlete at a very young age. Yeah. And from what I understand, did that kind of lead to also at a very young age, some advocacy work, like seeing like changes that needed to be made in terms like accessibility in both probably your community and I guess like the sport itself? You know, I think what it did is it it allowed me to grow up really quickly and also gain a sense of independence and a sense of I can do a lot of great things um, because I remember going to competitions all across the country and traveling and um, especially being so young, um, I think there were a lot of expectations of you have to behave and you have to watch what you eat and you have to watch where you sleep and things like that. And so it definitely helped my confidence. I think what was interesting though was I was in this world that was surrounded by disabled people all around. But then when I would go to school, I went to a private school in Mexico. And when I would go to school, I was the only disabled person in school. And so that frustration of being the only disabled person in school was really what led me to start my advocacy work back in Mexico. And what we did is we created this student group that was all about educating other students about disabilities. Um, so we would do things like eating without being able to see or using public transportation in a wheelchair or communicating without speaking. And that was a way for students to learn about disability in the way that they hadn't learned before. They had learned maybe about uh, women's issues or, you know, different minority groups, but nobody was really talking about disability. And so that was a great way for for young people to get exposed to disability. Speaking on uh, cerebral palsy specifically, I feel like it's a condition most people have heard of to some degree. It's definitely, I guess, a more common disability. But what are the specifics? Like, is this something that got progressively more challenging as you grew older? Or is has it been pretty steady and just something you've dealt with to the same degree your whole life? Yeah, so I guess fortunately it it's pretty steady. Um the one thing though is that when there are growths growth spurts, so when you're like two and fourteen, when you have the major growth spurts. Um, those were times where I definitely needed surgery because what happens is your muscles tense up and the bones are growing. And so the, the muscles being tense are contracting the bone from growing. And so they needed to release the muscle in order for the bones to and the, and the, and the muscle to grow at the same rate. And so they did that twice in my life. And both of those surgeries were critical in, you know, allowing me to have the independence that I have now. So I, I, I think it's, you bring a good point in that it's really important sometimes to recognize um, that 
yeah, we talk a lot about the social model of disability versus the medical model of disability, but sometimes um, medical interventions are needed to give disabled people in general a sense of independence. And so I'm lucky that I got to have, um, you know, both. Right. And I'm sure like with just about any condition or, I mean, just being a person in general, there's probably some days that are better, some days that are worse. What's the most common advice you give to people or with CP or, you know, parents of, of kids that might have it in just like general day-to-day maintenance? What's the number one thing you usually tell people to, to try to focus on? Um, in terms of managing CP specifically, everybody experiences it differently. I guess what I would say, though, is really, and it's applicable to any disability, but really being um, proud about your disability overall, because that really, for me, was a turning point. Um, when I met other disabled people and I started to learn more about the disability rights movement and uh, really got exposed to the culture around disability, uh, my own view of disability changed. You know, we, we talked a little bit about my career as an athlete and my time in Mexico, you know, as a sort of community organizer. And while I was really proud and, you know, we were making some really big changes, it really um, stemmed both my competition and my advocacy from the fact of, like, um, competing, I always felt like, oh, I'm not as disabled as the other person is. And so therefore, I'm going to be much faster and much, you know, I'm going to beat them because I'm not, quote unquote, as disabled. And yes. similarly, in my school, in high school, um, I really, I mean, I wanted to create a difference and I wanted to, to um, for people to be exposed to disability. But part of it was also because um I didn't have any close friends. I didn't have people that understood what it was like to have a disability. And so I figure creating a student group would be the perfect way to have people like have to hang out because then, you know, we had to work together. And so those two experiences at least stemmed from the fact that there was also some sort of internalized ableism or internalized quote-unquote, shame of having a disability. And so I think later in life at college, when I started to meet other disabled people and learn about disability culture overall, was when my view of disability really started to internally change. Right. So getting to that point, so you came to the States, you went to American University, correct? I did, yes. I assume after American University, did you go directly into, I want to talk about obviously Together International, which is how I discovered you. Did you have a work experience between college and then being kind of a founding part of Together International? And if so, did it kind of inform your decision? Like, okay, all the things I was doing back in high school and in Mexico, I need to do here on a much bigger level. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So so it was kind of, you know, both of those things happen tangentially, meaning like I was getting, you know, traditional jobs um, and I kind of went the traditional route and I felt like, you know, it was more of the same. We were, we were doing things kind of the same way and having the same conversations 
that people had, you know, for 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 years before. And also, um, what was super interesting to me was that all these disability-related efforts were mostly led by non-disabled people, and that to me was very um, confusing. And um, I I had this constant push and pull of you know, there needs to be something really led by disabled people and highlighting um, the strengths that disability brings to the table. And along the way, I think also an important point is how I recognize that I was really, truly an entrepreneur, meaning that I like, there's this quote that um, the founder of LinkedIn says, um, that is, being a founder is kind of like jumping off a cliff without a parachute and you're building the parachute as you go. Understanding that that was the type of environment where I thrive the most was also a learning experience in and of itself. That's a really good point. Do you think maybe there is some justification in the sense that, you know, the movement wasn't being led by disabled people because it just seems like there's a barrier of entry where it's just like well one it a lot of times it's just easier to let other people do it and two you can, in your case you're kind of leading by example like there's you know a reason you're like among the first or earliest to do something like this because yeah. it you know ideally will show other people that this is possible that we can advocate for ourselves and in that on that note I was fortunate enough to join by your invite a really massive Zoom pitch meeting for entrepreneurs with disabilities a couple months ago. And it was great. First off, shout out to you because that had to be, you know, like any kind of digital crowd management, it's very difficult. Yes. And you also kind of have to like watch the shot clock in a way to like make sure thing, you know, things keep moving and you're not going dramatically over time. You did a great job with that. And it was super, I don't want to say inspiring, because I think that's like, we kind of want to move away from like, everything having to be inspiring, right? In terms of with disability. But I will say it, it got me pumped up for lack of a better way to put it. But it also was frustrating in a way, because I there's no other communities where we have to be entrepreneurs. Yes, for our own advocacy, advocacy, but because there's just so many things that do not exist that would make our day-to-day -day a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if, you know, have you welcomed maybe non-disabled founders and investors and whatnot into those meetings and into this community that are genuinely surprised to the things that do not exist for disabled people? Yeah, so we make a point to always invite non-disabled people to those meetings. and and the judges and the mentors tend to be non-disabled and that's by sort of by design because we want there there's actually this study that a woman made i think i think it was a harvard study but i would have to look back but it was about how sometimes minorities have to rely on the majority slash privileged class in order to succeed or have to lean on them to succeed and I actually, in some ways, really like that approach because it comes back to it's not really us against them or them against us. It's really how do we all work together to make 
uh, a space that's inclusive and accessible to all? And how do we how do we all work together to um, strengthen the movement? And so I think collaborating with non-disabled people, especially non-disabled people who are in positions of power and influence and decision makers is a really good way to advance the movement. That being said, I think it's always really important to have disabled people leading those movements with the support, of course, of of everyone around. Right. It's like we're sharing this experience and this information uh, and there's nothing wrong with letting, you know, privileged people with a lot of access to things into that because it's like, hey, help us level the playing field a little bit. That's pretty much all we're asking for. What's your day-to-day like with the foundation? Like, I assume this is beyond a full-time job. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I dream about it. I, like, I'm losing my hair over, over it. It's it's kind of crazy. It's all-consuming, but I really like it. Take care of yourself, but that's super awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and honestly, like, different entrepreneurs have different levels of different working styles and different um, sort of self-care routine and management and uh, and as long as you know what works for you that's great what's my day-to-day so it it really one of the things i love about it is that it it varies in the sense that there's always something a new challenge to work on um but i do try to be very systematical in that i have uh, me i tend to have meetings on uh, monday wednesdays and Fridays, and then I try to block out time to just work on stuff um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so being very, I think the lack of, because as an entrepreneur, you're your own, um, your own boss, right? So I think the lack of direction sometimes that you can feel forces you to create systems that or at least forces me to create systems that are very um, structured and organized. And so I tend to be very disciplined in that way. And so to go back to your question, what does the day-to-day look like? So it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of talking to potential funders. It's a lot of talking and trying to be supportive of entrepreneurs. It's a lot about community organizing, to be honest, because that essentially what an organization is, is, it's a group of people trying to solve a problem at scale. And so, um, yeah, it's very exciting to see the community grow. What makes you, I guess, exceptionally optimistic about the intersection of disability and entrepreneurship, I guess, based on what you're doing every day, but what you just see in the world in general? You know, I think there's so much potential that is untapped and unre- un- underutilized. Um, with with disabled entrepreneurs in general that I think, and what's great about it is, you know, by supporting entrepreneurs with disabilities, it forces you to be empathetic. It forces you to be, to actively listen. It forces you to think about accessibility. It forces you, because, because you have to, you have, when you're communicating with somebody who is deaf or when somebody who's communicating, who maybe... Um, because they their CP or whatever other disability may have difficulty speaking, you have to be very patient and you have to be very you know willing to listen to what they have to say. And so, what's great about that is to me is it is the purest form of systems change 
And what I mean by that is when you are empathetic and when you are actively listening to people with disabilities, you can then turn those skills and apply them or, or um, manifest them to non-disabled people. And so suddenly you start at the, an individual who has been exposed to the inclusion of disabled people at large can start to become more inclusive and um, empathetic and just genuinely a, a more kind of diverse individual um, in spaces outside of disability inclusion. And I think that's the real key or the real gem that, that disability inclusion brings, that the skills that are applicable to make it successful can go beyond just disability and be applicable to, to anyone. Right. And I've tried to use that kind of in my arsenal with, I've, I've been interviewing for jobs for, God, I think like eight months at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a while to get comfortable to this point, but like really like we've talked about on this podcast too, where like disability can be a superpower in the workplace because we have to be so resourceful and creative just for a lot of day-to-day life that a lot of times, you know, figuring out the nuts and bolts of like doing a job is, I don't want to say easier, but it, it definitely makes you look at things from a higher level. And like I said, everything is strategy when you have a disability. So it, it has been helpful. And I, I will say I've busted that out in like interviews. And usually it, people are a little taken back by it because they don't expect it. But I think one of these days it's going to fall on the right ears with the right person and be pretty well received. So we'll see. I guess otherwise, one of the things that, you know, I struggle with as I've been, of course, you know, searching for work myself. And of course, there's always the thought of like, well, why don't I do my own thing? Or I'm sure a lot of people disabled and non-disabled have those thoughts. The most difficult thing for me and I'm sure a lot of people is just getting started. And I know there's so much information out there, be it for grants for disabled entrepreneurs. It's really hard to find where to start and how to gather that information and take action in a productive way. So I guess partially selfishly, what I'm asking for, is there any good starting points you suggest to people, whether it's like websites or foundations because like I said, I, I think I'm a pretty efficient Googler, but I've, I found myself in the rabbit hole where it's just like, I don't even know where to start with any of this. And I think that's, I guess, grants in general, a lot of times, but where would you tell people, and I can put some links below in the description and stuff, but if there are some go-to places you'd say to start at, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, of course. So I agree with you. It can, it can feel a little overwhelming. So I would say, you know, it, for somebody that's interested in starting, especially if, if it's somebody with a disability, to join our meetup. So we do a, I think you've been to a couple. Um, we do a weekly meetup. It's called Disability Startup Network. And we meet every Wednesday from 1 to 3 um, via Zoom. So you can join from wherever you are. And it's a great way to just meet people that are, not all of them have started businesses. Some of them have. But it's a great way to meet like-minded people that are just thinking about starting a business or are just curious about learning more and things like that. Um, So that would be my first um, suggestion. 
And then the other one is really looking at studying and understanding the what's called the business model canvas. Um, and I can go into detail or, you know, we can let the listeners kind of do their own Google search or self-study. But I think that the business model canvas is the new sort of one pager to two pager um, business plan. Um, and I would suggest that's a really good framework to really think about what's your value proposition, who are your customers, what's your channel, things like that. And you'll be able to articulate it m more to potential partners or funders if you have a, a, at least something, you know, pen to paper, basically a framework. For sure. Yeah. And I assume maybe you see this, maybe you will in the near future, but, you know, I, I tend to not want to over romanticize work in general, mm -hmm. um, especially with people with disabilities, because a lot of times, like, you know, we all do what we can. And sometimes it's just, it's not in the cards and some things are more important. But I do think, like I said, it, it's all about kind of having a level playing field to thrive in whatever you want to do. You know, I think people with disabilities should be able to, you know, whether it's starting families, travel, whatever you're passionate about, a lot of times, that can be work. And a lot of times you need to work to do those other things you're passionate about, like start a family or travel or own a home, mm -hmm. anything like that. Yeah. So I wonder, and, and the world of like, you know, thank God that there is this public service, but like actually going on disability in this country, I personally have a very surface level understanding of, but it kind of seems like, you know, for the negatives of people talking about like kind of putting yourself in that box of government dependence, it seems like a very tricky position to opt into. Um, like I said, thank God it exists for those of us that need to, but I almost wonder if you're at, if people are at that crossroads where it's become too difficult to work or it's increasingly difficult to get hired and you think that you have that option, well, I could go on disability I think it feels like the dream scenario for something like what you're doing is to give people another option to basically create their own thing that they're passionate about and can make a living doing. And it just, it's a route that not enough people know exists, if right. that makes sense. Right. And what I would say though, is, you know, there's, there, especially recently, I think people have glorified, um, entrepreneurship and oh, yeah. environments. Um, and I think that it is possible. Um, you know, obviously I've, I've done it before, but it does take a lot of work. So I, I don't, I, I think that, you know, people sometimes, sometimes we get people like, Oh yeah, I want to start a business. Kind of tell me, tell me how and do kind of handholding. And it's really, I mean, one of the things, to be perfectly honest, one of the things I like about business is it's, it's competitive by nature. You know, going back to the uh, the competitiveness of me being a swimmer, right? I like sort of competitive environments where you really have to find ways to be innovative and find ways to be creative. And I think in some ways that levels the playing field for disabled people in general because it's like... A quality product is a quality product, or a quality service is a quality service, regardless of whether or not you have a disability. And so I really like that. I think that is a a really good 
opportunity for disabled people to show our innovations and to show our creativity. At the same time, I think people really have to understand that it's it's very unlikely that this will be an overnight success, right? It really takes dedication and 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 um, and patience. But to your point, I think we are in some ways at an advantage compared to non-disabled people because we could use some of our SSI or SSDI or whatever funding or government assisting you're getting, we could save even if it's a hundred bucks a month or so um, and use that as initial capital for whatever venture you want to achieve. Right. I think a lot of people live in fear where it's like you can't make too much or you can't work too much. And that's what I mean by like the box, the perceived box of opting into something like that. I think it's a struggle for a lot of people, but you know, like most things, it's probably not as, as black and white as that and can actually put you in a position to succeed in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in wrapping up, where can people find you and you know get the best overview of, of what you're doing with Together? Yeah, so Together International, you can find us all over like website, Facebook, social media. The kicker is Together is spelled with a number two. So number two, G-E-T-H-E-R um, dash international.org. Um, and you can find all our social medias there. Um, like I mentioned, our uh, meetup is called Disability Startup Network. Um, so feel free to join there. And then for me personally, feel free to also reach out. My name is Diego Mariscal. Um, and so all over um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, although I don't check it very often, but feel free to ping me over there. Um, and happy to be as helpful as I can. Well, thanks for joining, Diego. This has been awesome, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, and thanks to you for listening. And again, if you want to get involved with what Diego is building, I'll drop a link in the description. Feel free to subscribe, check out another episode or six, and stay extremely good.